no one group can be driving these efforts. And while a lot of times your disability ERG is made up of a lot of individuals with disabilities, it can't be on them to create the experience that all employees with disabilities should be having within the organization. We all own a piece of the puzzle and we need to come together to have these important discussions. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Seen at Work, the podcast. It's the podcast where we highlight diversity, equity, and inclusion professionals and the work they're doing to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. I'm Natalia Eileen, and together with my colleagues, I help businesses build more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive workplaces. Today, I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with a fellow diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, Victoria Gimanani. Victoria is the DEI consultant for talent acquisition at Siemens. And today we had a chance to chat all about her work supporting and developing a disability inclusion council within the organization. My oh my, is there so much inspiration that I'm sure all of you will get from hearing about her story and about how this this disability inclusion council does amazing work for the employees across Siemens. Without further ado, I'll let you jump right in. Hello, and we are here for another amazing conversation, uh, this time with a fellow diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate who happens to be the DEI consultant for talent acquisition at Siemens. We have Victoria Gimignani on us on this podcast with us. Hello, Victoria. How are you? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to have you here. We are excited to be digging into the topic at hand. I know you have um, just a really interesting initiative for us to spotlight today. So we're excited to hear about it and about your general advocacy for disability inclusion. So can't wait to dig in. But, but first, can we please introduce you to our audience? Do you mind sharing a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure. No, absolutely. So like I said, super happy to be here. Um, My entire career has been within human resources, mostly in the pharmaceutical realm. Um, But I'll have to say the the biggest game changer for me where I truly found my passion was probably back in 2017 when I had joined Merck and I was brought in to really focus on diversity recruitment efforts. And, And from that moment, it really spiraled into where I'm at today um, at Siemens as a consultant around diversity, equity, and inclusion, making sure that as an organization, we're being very intentional on who we partner with, how we're branding ourselves, um, and also being very intentional on retaining that talent as well. So it's been a really great journey getting to work both um, in the recruitment and employer brand space and, and really hope I can provide some insight um, around some opportunities around disability inclusion. Amazing. Yes. And I'm sure you can based on that background and based on a little bit of what we were able to discuss off camera. I'm very grateful to have you on this podcast because a lot of our listeners are either diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioners who do this formally in their roles, or they're advocates who care deeply about this, who champion this within their workplaces, and are just looking to really beef up their understanding of these concepts and learn more. So today's initiative, the one that we are excited to talk about today and that you're bringing to us, is all about disability inclusion and creating a a more inclusive space on that dimension. So before we get into the specifics, do you mind just describing 
how you got into this particular space and just why it's an important concept and uh, area of d- diversity that we should be thinking about within workplaces. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say back when I had joined Merck in 2017, I had identified a phenomenal sponsor, a phenomenal mentor, uh, Nora Valley, who was part of their Global Diversity Center of Excellence. And she had put such an intentional focus on disability and really took me under her wing to really educate me and, and help me learn how to be an advocate for individuals with disabilities. And I think as organizations, you know, we recognize there's so much value in bringing individuals with different lived experiences, different perspectives to the table. When we talk about innovation, everyone looking and thinking the same will never truly make you innovative as an organization. So for me, it it really was an opportunity to lean in and figure out how to be a better advocate. And that actually kind of led to um, joining the Best Buddies New Jersey Advisory Board to really uh, intentionally put a focus on supporting individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So I feel like the moment I started learning about um, this population and the work we can be doing to better support them, I was just sold and and have since then wanted to be um, a very strong advocate. That is awesome, especially because right now, really paying attention to those with disabilities within our workplaces is something that we're seeing a lot more of now than we have in years past. And it's it's great to see how much activity is happening, whether it's employee resource groups that are surfacing to support disabled employees or to advocate for different services and policy changes on their behalf. Um, or even just some of the, the the things that we'll describe today, a council, like the one that you're going to describe today. So maybe if you can also speak to some of those dynamics and the ways that people are starting to invest in this space around disability inclusion, I'm not sure um, how much you've seen that space change and grow lately within Merck or within Siemens or or elsewhere. It might be nice to hear no, absolutely. And and I'll say, especially from my standpoint, sitting in a recruitment function, you know, mm-hmm. people with disabilities, the unemployment rate is astronomical. Mm-hmm. And as organizations, we are recognizing more and more the value of targeting this talent. And that's both at an early career level and a professional level. But it even goes beyond recruitment. Like from a supplier diversity standpoint, are you partnering with disability-owned business enterprises? Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about the way we communicate, are we doing so in an inclusive manner? There is mm-hmm. so much that goes into creating this experience. And, and what's so important for organizations to realize is by putting this work in, you're not just benefiting people with disabilities, but you're creating an inclusive space for everybody. And I think that's a perspective that organizations really need to understand. And regardless of that fact, when it does come to disability, one, it's a very intersectional topic. You could be a woman, you could be a member of the LGBTQ community, a veteran or military spouse, um, a, a woman of color. It is very, very intersectional. And this is the one group that anyone at any point of their life could belong to. So how are we being more intentional? And I think organizations are starting to really wake up and say, okay, we need to do better. And to me, that is the first step is showing up to the table to say there's more we can do. And here's what that journey is going to look like. And that, you know, is exactly what it sounds like you were able to do with the creation of this council, which sounds like an evolution beyond the support that Siemens has already been offering its employees through the employee resource group you described. So can you tell us a little bit about 
what we're here to talk about this initiative, this council and how it emerged. Absolutely. So in partnership um, with Siemens Diversity, Equity and Inclusion head Nichelle Grant, we've recently mobilized um, a cross-functional disability and inclusion strategy council. And also with very strong um, executive sp uh, sponsorship from Martin Powell and Kim Blind that are really um, instrumental leaders in our organization on the supply chain and smart infrastructure sides of the business. What I'll say is we recognize that we are on a journey. And there is so much we have an opportunity to address, but it is not the responsibility of one person or one team. So what we decided to do is really take a step back and think through who are some of the key stakeholders that really um, address different aspects of our business and employee experiences that we need to be bringing together to really assess our practices um, and identify areas that are in need of improvement. So as we were working through this exercise, we identified areas like benefits, um, talent acquisition, which is where I sit, um, communications, um, information technology, supplier diversity, um, digital accessibility, which will fall under IT, but also our facility accessibility when we think about our Siemens real estate team. And really wanted to incorporate these key stakeholders to understand what they're doing, what does current state look like? And if there's areas in need of opportunity, how do we come together to address them and share that knowledge with the broader organization? And it sounds like you're really tapping into how broad, um, how broadly impactful this work can be and should be in order to ensure that employees across the entire uh, experience of their, their lifetime within the company are touched and impacted by the work that you do. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And, and even if you think about, and I'll think um, around accommodations, you know, there's an accommodation when you are an applicant looking to apply to a role with the company, but then there's also the accommodations when you are an employee. And what mm -hmm. is that experience like? And that's really what we wanted to get at. And what I'll say was very instrumental was partnering with our Siemens Ability Employee Resource Group. I can't say enough about the value employee resource groups, employee business resource groups bring to organizations because as much as we want to intentionally address systemic barriers we have within our organizations, we need to tap into those individuals with lived experience to understand exactly what those are so we're not making assumptions around where we need to begin. So tell me a little bit, maybe to that point, about the composition and the structure of this council, because it sounds like there would need to be some communication between those within the employee resource group and this council, and obviously some cross-functional representation. So tell us a little bit about those pieces. Absolutely. So we do have some of the work streams I mentioned earlier that we're focusing on, but even beyond those work streams, we've really been intentional about bringing different perspectives to the table aside from individuals that sit in those areas. So thinking about our Siemens Foundation, um, employee legal, our business partners, when we think about internal mobility and retention. And what I'll say is we were very intentional around identifying what we call inclusion champions. So in partnership with Janet, who oversees our Siemens Ability ERG, we really work to identify individuals from the ERG 
that would be champions on the council and have each of those champions sit on an individual work stream that they felt passionate about. Because we wanted to make sure as we were going through um, the priority setting process and, and, and taking that design thinking approach, that when we talk about empathy and understanding where we have the biggest areas of opportunity, people with lived experience had that seat at the table to say, this has been my experience, or this is something I've been talking about with another ERG member that you might want to keep in mind when you mm -hmm. talk about this process or where you when you think about, you know, what changes need to be made to be more inclusive. Um, and, and I would say that has really been the game changer for us to understand what direction we need to take. Got it. And um, just even getting nitty gritty to the logistics of it, is this a council that you see existing, at, you know, into perpetuity because this work is important forever? Um, how are terms kind of looking, you know, do people serve for just a couple of years or have you sorted those kinds of details out for those who might be looking to replicate them? Absolutely. So I'll say I foresee this council always being in existence in one facet or another. I think these ambassador teams from a diversity standpoint are so incredibly important. And right now, as we think about our maturity, you know, we are building our way up to be a more disability confident workplace. So we need to be very laser focused right now. But I would say as we continue to evolve, you know, it might look different, but it'll never stop being a focus. We will never be complacent because there's always going to be areas of opportunity to improve. And we want to make sure we're very much on top of that. In terms of those serving on the council, I think that'll be very dependent on, you know, if people leave the current role they're in um, or if for any reason bandwidth were to change and they want to nominate someone new or, of course, ideally, continue scaling our council so we're looping in other stakeholders so we're always getting that fresh perspective in. So I definitely see a lot of elements evolving, but it always being a core focus for the organization. And that makes sense. I think, you know, especially it being a council and not necessarily a task force with just this finite goal in mind, it sounds like it's very much there to support this effort uh, so long as it's necessary. And what we know in this work as DEI practitioners and advocates is that uh, we have a ways to go before we get to that point where this is actually fully, fully supporting every single one of our employees um, and not just on, on the disability side, but, but across the board, right? Absolutely. I guess I'm wondering then if you can get into the specifics about the kinds of work streams you're seeing these groups focus on, because if people already have an employee resource group, what might be running through some of our listeners' minds is why have both and what does kind of the distinction look like? So what does this council do? Absolutely. So what I'll say, too, is I think organizations, what I've seen from my experience is, you know, there will be employee business resource groups that have very strategic goals and initiatives aligned to strategic business objectives. And then you also have your employee resource groups that are really focused on uh, driving culture and, and maybe aren't strategically aligned to executing on any maybe firm business objectives. So the role they're playing is, is from a culture standpoint that can really add value to some of this more business oriented focus that this alliance would bring forward. And what I would say at the end of the day is no one group 
can be driving these efforts. And while a lot of times your disability ERG is made up of a lot of individuals with disabilities, it can't be on them to create the experience that all employees with disabilities should be having within the organization. We all own a piece of the puzzle and we need to come together to have these important discussions when we think about the experience we wanna create for people with disabilities as well as caregivers. So in terms of our different work streams, um, we have several currently mobilized, um, but the one that I'd love to highlight a bit would be around recruitment, since that's the one I'm really sitting in and, and focusing on from my standpoint. And what I'll say is, you know, when it came to priority setting, we kind of took a step back um, and I... I alluded to this a bit earlier and took a, a design thinking approach. Because at the end of the day, you really need to understand current state as an organization, where you're at, what you're doing well, what's not going well, and then what opportunities you have to improve. And that's why the design thinking process is so helpful because it allows you to have those conversations. Um, and it allows you to put empathy first in these efforts and really try and understand what the experience of people with disabilities has been in your organization so you can address where there's areas of opportunity to do better. You know, so after doing some of that um, initial empathy practice, right now we're very much in ideation and thinking through based on current state, where do we really want to focus our efforts? And what I can share from a recruitment standpoint is we bucketed this into three different areas. And for some perspective, under our recruitment work stream is our head of our Siemens Ability ERG, um, myself, one of my colleagues who's also in talent acquisition, um, a business partner, and another um, talent acquisition sourcer from another area of the business. Mm -hmm. And when we sat down, the three areas we were focusing on is one, training. There needs to be awareness. Awareness for our hiring managers, awareness for our talent acquisition teams, and quite mm -hmm. frankly, um, even broader awareness for the business, because even if you're not part of the recruitment process, you're going to be working with these with these colleagues. And we want to make sure that you are creating the most inclusive experience that every employee deserves to have when they join an organization. Mm -hmm. The second piece would be thinking through external recruitment efforts. You know, as we think about the different talent segments we're engaging, you know, how are you partnering with student disability services on campus? How are you leveraging different um, partners like Disability In to be sourcing talent, both early career or mid-career professionals? Um, and how are you branding yourselves and, and driving outreach to these demographics? And what I'll say too, which I'm sure a lot of organizations are starting to think about is not even just um, individuals with disabilities, but sometimes people aren't graduating with a four-year degree. However, they are very capable and have key skill sets, especially if you invest in their development to bring to your organization. So how are you creating that access? And then I'd say the last piece was um, internal mobility and retention. How are we making sure we're not only bringing this talent through the door, but we're developing them, whether it's a lateral move, um, maybe they're um, growing within the area that they're looking to specialize, but how are we making sure that they are being invested in? 
Um, so that's really kind of the areas that we've been talking a lot about um, as a work stream and are putting very intentional goals in place to be sure that we're able to continue diversifying our ecosystem, to be leveraging our growth talks in a more intentional way, and to really leverage our learning team as much as possible to educate people and allow them to take these learnings um, at the optimal time for them so they can really be intentional on taking that information in. Got it. Got it. And what I'm hearing based on what you're saying is a few things. The first is that it sounds like even organizations that don't currently have employee resource groups for or related to disability can be creating this council to really action on some of these things. Um, And that's one thing I'm hearing. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, But another thing I'm hearing is also that there is a lot of... um, there's a lot of variability in how not just functionally this can be tackled and improved, but also maybe because of the broad nature of the community and the population itself, there are a lot of different ways to think about the impact that, that's possible. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to to that, that broad nature and how the council adjusts to supporting those with disabilities on different dimensions? Uh, you know, in terms of how broad broad and and vast that community is. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, at at the end of the day, the idea of this cross-functional council is really impacting every facet of an employee's experience or quite frankly, an applicant's experience. And we all know disability is very broad. So the accommodations some people might need, um, the accessibility um, that some individuals may need when they're when they're coming on site and being mindful of creating a space that they can comfortably come in. You know, these are different things we're thinking about as an organization, like even our light fixtures. I think I recall someone having mentioned, you know, if, if someone were to have epilepsy, it would be nice if there was a way to be able to control and dim the lights. So it was a more um, inclusive Uh, workspace that they'd be able to perform optimally in. And these are things that, quite frankly, as informed as you want to become, whether you're a DEI professional or or just anybody, Mm -hmm. you don't know until that voice of lived experience comes in. So it's been really enlightening for our benefits team, for communications, for our real estate team, for all kind of key cross-functional areas to get to hear, like, listen, you're doing these couple of things well, and we appreciate it. But here's some additional things to keep in mind and things that are very important to really cascade and educate on enterprise-wide. Right, right. And I, I think while you're while you're while you were speaking, I had a thought about um, just how important it is to have those voices spotlighted as part of all the work that this council is doing. And you touched on the relationship that exists between uh, the employees who are involved in this and who live the experiences that you're trying to support. Um, What does that look like practically? Are you having sit-down conversations? Are you doing storytelling events with the council and employees who identify as having disabilities? Or what is the approach to ensuring that you're getting that deeper understanding from them? Absolutely. So I'll say when we were doing the empathy exercises, we really made it a point to have that sit down conversation. I think there's a lot of ways to capture feedback. Um, And I know a lot of times, you know, here's a survey, like we love to hear what you have to say. And I feel like sometimes and 
that's not always the most effective way. People are nervous about how their words can be construed. You know, people might not necessarily take it seriously because they might feel as though, okay, I'm giving you this feedback, but what are you going to do about it? Whereas we came forward and said, we've developed this council because we know we have an opportunity to do better. And with that, we want to make sure that we are understanding your experience so we can focus on these key areas foundationally to identify any systemic barriers and then continue to scale these efforts moving forward. And I, I think that's the biggest piece. It's This cannot be a check-the-box exercise. This cannot be performative. You have to intentionally want to understand the lived experience of these colleagues and making sure that as you're identifying areas that can be improved, you are solutioning and understanding what needs to be put into place to do better. And by no means do I say you are going to figure everything out in a year and everything's going to get off the ground in in a couple minutes, not at all. But if employees see the effort, that's going to really allow them to feel more comfortable at work. We always talk about bring your whole self to work. And I think it's important, but I think that in itself has just become a, a buzz term and, and very performative versus authentically creating the space so they can do just that. Right. And, you know, you're tapping into what maybe is my next line of questioning, because that sounds like it might be a challenge all by itself, ensuring that this whole experience, this whole exercise doesn't turn into some sort of check the box opportunity where, you know, people sit down for this council, but don't really see action or don't really listen uh, to those who are most impacted by what, what the council is trying to do. To that point, are there other challenges that you're aware of or that you've encountered that you think listeners seeking to potentially replicate this council should be aware of? Absolutely. So I'll say for starters, many of us work at very complex organizations. And a lot of times, you know, when it comes to culture, you have an overarching culture within your organization, but then within various divisions and business units, you also have your own culture that you're creating. So I think as you build out these councils, at the end of the day, you can't realistically bring everybody together per se, but you also need to make sure you're not operating in a silo. So really finding ways to communicate with broader diversity councils, being proactive around creating resources, putting accountability measures in place. So this isn't just staying maybe within a brief area of the business. Maybe you'll pilot an initiative with an area of the business. Great. But what's the intentional focus behind that? To share it more broadly so other areas adopt that way of thinking. So that's the same way you need to look at mobilizing a council like this is, you know, you could start with a manageable number, pick key stakeholders to loop in, but make sure that you're being very transparent around what you're doing so it starts getting ingrained in the broader business. I would say that is something huge um, to keep in mind as you're mobilizing these efforts. Right. Especially, especially in a large, complex organization um, like yours, and and I imagine that's something that would be standing out to people as they're hearing how involved this would be. You also mentioned uh, accountability metrics, and I imagine that there may be some challenges in some of those aspects of this kind of council. Are there? <laughs> Do you mind speaking to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say 
you know, as organizations, we're always talking about wanting to do better. You know, we're having conversations with managers. They're like, yes, you know, I want to bring this talent in. I want to diversify my workforce. I want to create this inclusive experience, which that piece to me is the most important and foundational to diversifying your workforce. But a lot of times there's this fear of, but what if I say the wrong thing? Or what if I do the wrong thing? And and that's valid. And, and I think there is you know, this misconception to say that I have to get everything perfect and that, you know, if I say the wrong thing, like they're, they're going to quit or I'm going to look like a bad manager. But this is the opportunity where councils like this or learning teams or your broader HR teams have a great opportunity to train and educate the workforce. You know, I, I attended a conference the other week and one of the gentlemen presenting said, when you meet one person with a disability, you've met one person with a disability. And I thought that was incredibly powerful to say, never generalize someone, whether they have a disability or not. So if you don't know if, if you're saying the right thing or if you're potentially taking the right action, just mm -hmm. ask. It is a learning experience, but we want to make sure we are taking a very um, human-centered approach to this work. And I think if you have that fear then the first thing that should be going off in your head is that I have the opportunity to educate myself. So how can you educate yourself on your own? But then mm -hmm. how can you bring this up to your colleagues in HR, your colleagues in learning to say, I know this is an area of opportunity for me. I'm sure some of my other fellow managers might feel the same way. How do we build in some education opportunity so we can do better? And are you seeing that sometimes that trepidation makes it difficult to recruit potentially, just thinking tactically, not recruit as in talent acquisition, but recruit for this council. Um, because I'm thinking tactically, that could be a barrier potentially as you're trying to get people to join the council. Um, if there are people who are maybe interested in the topic and interested in the advocacy, but are very concerned about putting themselves out there in that way. And, and to that point, what have you done to try to build uh, a sense of comfort or at least a sense of of confidence that gives people the opportunity to feel comfortable being on this council in this way. Even I, I imagine if they themselves don't identify with uh, having a disability. Oh, absolutely. And I'll say, you know, the recruitment process was actually phenomenal. But, you know, as people started getting mobilized and we started having these conversations, then to your point, people were like, wow. I have a lot to learn. And it's funny because um, Nichelle and I had a conversation about this, but that's exactly what we want. You know, when we teed up this council, we were not expecting that everybody that's part of the council is a subject matter expert, but we did want to uh, excuse me, pick people that are passionate, that want to be advocates, that want to learn and feel comfortable helping drive what can sometimes be difficult conversations. But also a big piece of what we're doing is even educating our own council. And there's mm -hmm. kind of two ways that we're in the midst of mobilizing. One, interestingly enough, I actually have the book right next to me, is um, Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. We provided a digital copy of this book to all of our council members and are going to be very intentional around bringing up pieces of this book in each of our meetings that we have as a full council. So mm -hmm. perfect example, we have a meeting on Monday. We're going to talk a lot about mental health as May is Mental Health Month. Right. Um, 
So that's one big area that we're focusing on. I would say the second is bringing in guest speakers, um, whether it's members of the ERG that have a story they want to tell or tapping into folks externally, some of our peers that are doing just phenomenal work around disability inclusion and maybe in a particular area that we still feel we don't know where to start or we could use some feedback and, and best practice on intentional first steps to take. And that's another piece. I think what I love so much about this work, especially when it comes to disability inclusion, is that companies are so willing to hop on a call and talk about what they're doing, because at the end of the day, no one company can hire all of this talent, but we can all come together and make sure that we are creating a meaningful experience and providing that access into our organizations. And that community is probably one that I'm so incredibly um, proud to be a part of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this idea of ensuring that your council receives the education it needs, and even the point that you were describing when people realized, oh, there's a lot here and there's a lot I don't know. All of that, it sounds like such a beautiful opportunity, not just to educate those within the council, but given how cross-functional this council is, it also is almost a little bit like a, like an ambassador allyship program of sorts, where you're also distributing people into their own divisions and, 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 you know, workforces within the company who now have this, this newfound understanding developing, but, but newfound, you know, it, it, all the while they're, they're out here having these conversations and advocating. So it, it's just really beautiful to hear about that, that piece of it. Um, which I hadn't fully connected until you said that. And thank you for sharing that resource. I'm sure people have written that down as, as a book that they will be picking up to really learn more about this. I want to move us into advice that you have related to this topic or related broadly to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Before I do, are there any other challenges that you want to throw in there that might be potential watch outs for people before we make that transition. I don't want to exhaust that if we haven't actually exhausted it. No, absolutely. I, I think the one thing I'll say, um, and I'm sure um, any of my peers that are DEI professionals are probably feeling a bit of that DEI fatigue, like you're having a lot of these difficult conversations. And sometimes it feels like you're not getting through to somebody and you're trying to be extremely, you know, emotionally intelligent. I would say keep pushing through you know, there's nothing more impactful than, you know, having these conversations with people and leading them to have this better understanding that they didn't previously. And it's not always easy, but it is always worthwhile. So if there's anything I can say is keep going. You're awesome. It's, it's going to get better and they're going to get it. Um, but just don't get discouraged if it takes a bit longer than you hope, because it is a journey. And that's definitely something that I think is really important to keep top of mind as you're driving this work, whether it's disability driven or any other broader DEI topic. Yeah, totally. And that almost sounded like a challenge and advice wrapped up in one, because certainly a challenge sometimes doing this work and feeling that fatigue that is very natural for all of us. Uh, but also it's it's helpful to hear you bring that encouragement and and encourage all of us to keep going because this work is just too important. Do you have any other words of advice you want to share before we close out? 
Absolutely. So I would say if if mobilizing this council sounds like something you're interested in doing, absolutely do it. You know, as a DEI professional, I can't say enough. This work cannot be performative. And while we are natural advocates, creating the space for people to advocate for themselves is extremely impactful and something that we have a huge opportunity to drive to see that systemic change within the organization. So by mobilizing this council, by mobilizing these champions, you're able to do just that. And while all of us are at a different stage of our disability inclusion journey as organizations, just showing up and taking these first steps is going to make a difference for your employees. It's going to make them feel that sense of belonging that we want them to have. And I just say, go for it. And I am more than happy to um, be accessible if anybody needs a sounding board, because I feel so strongly about this approach. Awesome. And I mean, to that point, if, if you're offering, you know, we'll have Victoria's information up on our site, and I'm sure you'll be available, you know, on all the socials to make sure that if people are interested in checking in with you, they can. But even just you're taking the time today to talk about this council, to talk about your experience, to talk about your perspective on how important it is for us to talk about disability inclusion within workplaces. It's gone a long way, I'm sure, to supporting some of our listeners in their advocacy on this front. So thank you so much, Victoria, for being here with us and for sharing your knowledge today. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's It's been a pleasure. And I, I really hope everyone found value in some of this insight. So thank you. Of course.